Welcome to episode 46 of The Whiskey Topic. Uh, today, Jamie and I are going to play an interview we did with uh, Stuart McPherson uh, back in our dry January days. Yeah, so, you know, the the sip of the barrel sample does not count. <laughs> right. <laughs> that does not count. Because it was dry January, but also there was a barrel sample in front of my nose, so I wasn't going to say no. No. Um, but, Yeah. I'm not made of stone here. Uh, plus, we're all very like serious and sober for the first part of the interview. Actually, we're uh, sober we really? the whole. It's so funny. Like I, 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 we were like we took it really seriously. Like we weren't joking around. That doesn't sound like us. No, it was a big deal because we. Um, so Stuart McPherson uh, works for uh, the McAllen Group, and he um, he's their quote unquote master of wood. What he's in charge of is the. Um, the wood from it being a tree to being made into a barrel to an aging sherry to um, it being used in in the maturation of whiskey. Um, And I think, you know, overall, it's a little bit of a technical interview, but we we had some funny stories there. We got some funny stories out of Stuart as well. Uh, But I think the biggest surprise I got from that interview was the, um, and the samples we were given to taste was um, American oak that has never seen bourbon, but instead was used uh, to age sherry and then used to age whiskey. Uh, which was different. I mean, I don't think I've never, you know, tasted that before. I always tasted American oak aged scotch that used to have bourbon in it. And, right. and uh, you know, bourbon is higher in alcohol, so that means it's going to take out more flavor from the from the oak. Whereas if you age sherry in oak, uh, sherry's lower alcohol, it's not going to quite extract as much flavor. So it's, then it's not also not, it's not been aged for as long. So it's a whole different taste profile. It's a very interesting uh, part of the tasting. Yeah, and Stuart's a really cool guy. He um, is. He started as a cooper, um, and he so like he gets this whole thing from you know sort of top to bottom. Like he knows barrels like probably no one else. Um, so it was really cool to like get a chance to chat with him um, a little bit, and he's quite lovely and quite fun, and and yeah. All the whiskey people we hang out with are kind of lovely and fun, though. It's always kind of nice to to get them. I mean, the ideal circumstances are obviously you want to have a dram with them in a pub somewhere and just get some stories out of them. Right. Um, which, you know, if we could interview every single brand ambassador or, you know, whoever at a pub with a dram, I think that would be, like, the most ideal of circumstances. But... Um, he was awesome, even just hanging out in a you know boardroom with a. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say like oh with just with a couple of cask samples. Yeah, <laughs> just a few. Just I a mean, few. These are so rare too. I mean, Macallan cask samples used to be you know more more prevalent in Scotland years and years ago. Uh, and today, just no. Like Macallan's not giving up any of their 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 stuff for for a cask sample. So that that was that was lovely, lovely, lovely. And um, did we want to have a shout out to our friend on Twitter that has posted a selfie? The one friend that has posted a selfie with his whiskey topic T-shirt. Yeah, Michael at Red Champ. Um, he got one of our T-shirts, and actually, he he tweeted me uh, the other day about Wild Turkey because, as we all know, um, I um, am a big Wild Turkey fan, and so through the podcast, he was like, I, I'm drinking wild turkey. And honestly, I feel like my job here is done. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel so grateful that I've been able to like pass along a little bit of the wild turkey gospel because I think it's just like such great stuff. And uh, so thanks, Michael. 
Thanks at Red Champ. Thanks for uh, tweeting us and and supporting us and um, tell me more about the wild turkeys that you're drinking because we don't get them a lot of them here in uh, Ontario. So um, you know, I'd like a full report. Yeah, we we have to travel for a wild turkey rare breed. <laughs> it's funny though because uh, you mentioned you mentioned rare breed on this. Yes. All the podcasts all the time. All the time. All the time. Because it's delicious. And I can't get enough. And I don't know. Mark is getting a cold. So this is terrible, by the way. Um, you need to drink some rare breed. And maybe it'll knock the cold right out of you. I wish I had some. Jeez. I know. I know. We got to get somebody who's going to the States to grab some for us. Oh, I know. Seriously. Yep. So thank you so much for um, for posting that. And um, yeah. So we're going to take you. Yeah, you're awesome. Today. We're going to take you. Um, unless there's anything else, Jamie, you think want to. No, that's it. I think uh, I think I want to hear Stuart. All right, sounds good. We'll take it directly to Stuart. Oh, you know, we should also mention that there is a bit of audio issues through the middle of the interview. There's a little clicking sound that ha- occurs, so we do apologize for that. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now when we're lower in the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, Welcome to the Whiskey Topic, the weekly podcast that tends to get off topic. My name is Mark Bylock. I'm the author of The Whiskey Cabinet, and my co-host is Jamie Johnson, who runs a private but approachable bourbon club here in Toronto, Canada. You can also find our podcast on the website whiskey.buzz. So I guess the best place to start is um, what do you do? What, is it, what does a day look like for you? That's probably quite a good question. I, I probably ask myself that question every day. Uh, it's really changed over the, over the last year. Uh, I've worked for Edrington, who are the parent company for McAllen, for near on 37 years now. So I started when I was four, and I obviously missed out on my education. <laughs> and uh, I, I went straight into kind of learning all about casks. No, it was funny. It was a career that I really got into by by chance, really. I wanted to be a teacher, and I had a summer job working in a cooperage and was really fascinated just about how manual this job was. You know, constructing casks, and there's no nails involved. It's just the skill of the cooper uh, and a lot of luck, I think, more than anything else, to try and get these casks tight. So, you know, after I'd served my apprenticeship as a cooper, uh, four years, uh, I, I was then, you know, learning my trade as such. Uh, then went into management, and uh, in the mid-90s, I was uh, in charge of our cooperages in Scotland. 2012, I was then asked, my, my you know, previous manager retired from the company, and they asked if I wanted to take on the role as Master of Wood for McAllen, uh, not really knowing what it involved. Uh, at that time I was still running the cooperages and we were then running 1824 series out. So in 2013 I came out to Toronto and, and various other countries and started to talk about more uh, about this new range of whiskies that we had created and, and the whole impact that wood has in creating the flavours and characteristics. And then uh, last year, uh, I took on this role as being kind of more involved in Spain. You know, we have a huge commitment uh, at McAllen with our sherry casks being made for us. So my main job 
really is, is overseeing this process in Spain, from uh, the cutting of the trees, through to the seasoning of the wood, the construction of the casks, and then with the, the bodegas. Uh, and then I'm fortunate enough to come along to countries like this and see and meet people who are interested in whiskey. How, um, how long is that process from you discovering the tree or, or looking at the trees to uh, it being seasoned and made into a barrel? And then how long is that process between start to finish before whiskey's poured into the barrel? For us, it's approximately between five and a half and six years. So we'll source uh, the majority of our, our European oak in, in the north of Spain, in, in the regions of Galicia, Asturias, and Cantabria. Uh, we'll have the wood cut. Uh, it'll, it'll lie for a period of time. Then it's cut into sections of wood. It dries in the north for about between four to six months. Uh, it's then transferred to Jerez, uh, which is in the south of Spain, and dries for a further 18 months. So that, that drying process takes approximately two years. You've then got the cast construction, the cast construction side, and then we, we season with uh, dry Oloroso for a further 18, 18 to 24 months. Closer probably now to 18. I was just gonna ask how important is, and why is that process of, of drying and seasoning so important to the wood? Well, it's all air dried, so you, 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 know, you naturally begin to, to, to reduce the moisture content in the wood. As, as the moisture content reduces, the wood becomes stronger. You're also reducing some of the tannings uh, and impurities of the wood from there as well. Does any barrel, uh, is any barrel capable of being a 50-year-old or 60-year-old whiskey, um, or is, that a, is there a selection process there? Um, I guess I'm asking, like, how special are those whiskeys that are been aged for so long? Is every barrel capable of producing that whiskey, or is every barrel unique in, in its way? No, no. I mean, these are these are quite unique in a way. Uh, I mean, we use two types of oak. We use Quercus alba, which is an American white oak, and we use Quercus roba, which is more a European oak. You've got Quercus patria and Quercus roba, uh, and these two different types of oaks give totally different characteristics and styles and colours. So, you know, it's quite rare to have a cask for, for such a long period of time that, that would be able to mature and develop uh, the spirit. So, I mean, I guess evaporation would be a problem in, uh, for that long period of time primarily? Yeah. yeah. Wood type yeah. Uh, and evaporation as well, yes. Right. Um, so the, um, you know, we've, um, so sherry oak typically, or European oak typically gives you those darker co colors. And I think, um, where's, where does that come from? Does it come from the sherry or from the oak itself? It comes from the oak itself. Uh, you know, when, when we use, the reason why we use all the Rosso is that it's a, a low alcohol strength. So there's not a lot of research being done about what that wine actually does to, to the spirit. But what it does is it interacts with the wood and then it, it begins to reduce some of the, you know, the off notes from, from the wood itself. And then when you integrate the spirit and start to mature, the wine that's then within the wood plus the actual wood itself 
begin to extract the, the flavours and the colours. But predominantly, it's from the wood. The, the wood itself, for Macallan, the wood is the biggest single influence. You know, 80% of the flavour and the characteristics will come from the wood type. But for us, it's also 100% of the natural colour. So no pressure in your job then? You must feel zero responsibility for <laughs> well, it's, it's, how the whiskey turns well, out. It's, <laughs> well, it's quite nice to know that some of the stuff we're working on this now will probably will, will start to see results in 14 years' time. By that time, I'll have retired. So you know, But, you know, it's about this passion, about the intriguing factor of what it will actually do in the future. Uh, because, you know, as... As the Scotch whisky industry has grown and developed, that's one of the challenges for everyone, is to be able to create continuity and consistency in your product. And, and having it as a natural colour then becomes more of a challenge for the whisky maker. Oh, what's so with, um, uh, with the Macallan program, you're the only master of wood in Scotland, is that correct? You're of that title? Is that well, uh, yes, yes. I mean, I, you're I, the first in Macallan to hold that title. Well, apart from my previous boss. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, some people might say I've came from being a lump of wood to, to a master <laughs> of wood, and, and some some people might say I'm still a lump of wood. But uh, yes, because you know, we we have this we have this whole commitment about how important wood is for us. And, and the whole coopering industry uh, in Scotland is, is very much in a decline. And you know, we pay you know, so much attention to, to what we're actually trying to achieve mm -hmm. that it, you know, it gives me an opportunity to come out and talk about a craft. A craft that's allegedly the second oldest profession in the world. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that at the end and we'll move on to the next question. Well, you brought some whiskey with you. You brought some uh, barrel strength, uh, cast strength Macallan. Yes. Uh, yeah, if we maybe, maybe talk through the, through the, American, uh, the American sherry oak first. It's quite interesting because they, they, are, they are totally different uh, in, in, what, in what they deliver for us and, and, and give us as a spirit. I mean, we are one of the very few Scotch whisky companies who will actually uh, source American oak from, from the regions of Ohio, Kentucky, Missouri, for us. Uh, we then have the wood cut and we ship that wood all the way to Spain. We then leave it to dry for a period of time, and then we start to, to season uh, our casks in the, in the same way as our, our European oak. Yeah, so so your, um, your American oak barrels never touched bourbon, is that the idea? Yes, we, we do, we have three types. Uh, we have sherry uh, seasoned American and Spanish or European. And then we have uh, American bourbon barrels that we use. And a lot of that is, is for our fine oak range. Mm -hmm. right. You know, uh, so it's that kind of the more sweeter, the more vanilla, the citrus flavours coming from it, the sweetness that you associate more with an American oak. So this is uh, American oak seasoned in Spain 
and then and then with uh, McAllen whiskey aged in it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So basically, what's happened with these casks is we've shipped the timber across from uh, America into Jerez, mm-hmm. and then we've had the casks made right. in the same way as a, a European oak, seasoned for eighteen months mm-hmm. with with dry oloroso, yeah. and then sent to to Scotland. So a lot of the notes I'm picking, a lot of the notes I'm picking up here are the season, some of that seasoning from from being in Spain, because it doesn't, to me, it doesn't smell. Uh, the nose isn't very familiar as an American oak. I wouldn't guess it would be American oak. I guess. No, I it. because what, when you're probably when you're probably nosing uh, a cask that's been American bourbon, it's very much the the charred. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside to the cask so American, American bourbon is, is, is charred whereas what we would say it's more about the toasting mm-hmm. so we're looking at by the heating of a cask is probably one of the most important factors not only just to bend the wood but also but also to start breaking down the the molecule compounds of the timber itself mm-hmm. okay so you're not going to to have that probably that dark uh, nose that's going to come from uh, from the American bourbon. Right. This is more a kind of softer, sweeter vanilla smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I find that I find it really interesting. I've never uh, tasted something quite like this before, as far as American oak and um, and the toasting versus the the charring of the barrels and what difference that makes. That's interesting. Very interesting. I think you know. I think what happens is that your ninety percent of the Scotch whisky industry would use bourbon barrels as an infill to their production requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think over the last few years, it's been quite challenging for the Scotch whisky industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, with the demand on or increased volumes in in the bourbon market, yeah. the availability of timber. The sawmills, everything else, and it's 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 had challenges for the Scotch whisky industry. But we have such a, a robust process that we, you know, we've worked with suppliers, we've had relationships for 25, 30 years, uh, and, it, and you know, over time, we've began to understand what we can achieve from from this type of wood. If someone walked in this room with one of those flat packs, could you rebuild a barrel still? Is it like riding a bike? I'm not expecting somebody to chat <laughs> the door, am I? You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. I could. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that you, you never forget really uh, a lot of what you've, what you've learned. And I think it's, it's a great opportunity. People don't get a chance to see that skill and, and the craft, uh, really. Uh, a lot of the companies in, in Scotland, I mean, even ourselves, we we don't have a facility for, uh, you know, visitors to actually see this being made. Uh, so it's, it's a shame, but uh, yeah. Um, we, we had the opportunity actually to, to in Kentucky, to, to see, to go to a cooperage and watch, and it's quite the, it's quite the, like, feet of it, it's it's pretty um it's actually exciting to watch all that 
spit in there and there's no nails and there's no screws and there's nothing and it's the most basic sort of piece of technology but we're still using it today. But it's very automated. I mm-hmm. mean, America mm-hmm. and, and the bourbon industry is very automated in its mm-hmm. process. You know, there's a lot, a lot of conveyors. There's a lot yeah. of kind of robotic systems. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Scotland, there isn't, there isn't really a lot of new casks made. We generally, we generally purchase from America mm-hmm. or for Spain or some of these other uh, countries where the wood has already been seasoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, the comparisons are totally different, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you're saying in Scotland, it, it is even less automated. Um, with, with the barrel making process, I guess I, I'd love to ask you this question. Um, so what we saw, and we went to, which, which, where did we go? Independent state. Oh, yeah, uh, independent state. World Cupridge or whatever, Brown. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 okay. Um, and so we saw, um, you know, these, these very, very large gentlemen. They're all very tall and just, I was, I felt so, I was like, wow, I'm just like <laughs> a tiny man here uh, in a world of big, big, tall guys. Um, but they, um, there wasn't a perfect science students in terms of when they were putting the barrel together. They were like grabbing, they were generally kind of formed the, the, the outside and then they had to use smaller pieces and kind of picked what worked and what didn't work. And there was a, some, there was definitely craft, I, definitely as far as what they picked and how that worked. Can you uh, just tell us a little bit about that? Like how's the barrel constructed in that, in those few minutes? Cause it only takes like minutes. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically what they would have had is a template. So they'll have like a top hoop, which would give them an idea of how much wood they need to fill that hoop to give them the size of the cask. So generally, generally you would you would alternate the the widths of the staves or the pieces of wood, uh, because if you can imagine, if you have too much wood, then you start to alter the the pitch of of the cask. Or if there's if it's too flat or too broad, you start to get flat sections in in the cask itself. So there's a f- there's a kind of process that you would you would alternate the different widths of the right. of, of the wood basically. The ends would all be a uniform size as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a case of well, here's my end, and then going to make it to fit this template of a cask or, or the profile. Um, so what have you brought for us next? What's uh, what's the next uh, sample? Well, here we have. Uh, a uh, Spanish sherry oak cask. It's uh, totally different. It's quite nice, you know, from a from a, a a comparison perspective, just to actually, you know, see the two two liquids side by side, and and, and notice straight away uh, the difference in the colour. Yes, this is much much darker. Uh, yeah. So here here we've got uh, a nineteen ninety five. Spanish sherry oak, and we have, or what we did have before was 1992 yeah. American oak. So you would assume that being uh, a lot older, that the American oak would actually be a lot darker. Yeah. So you know this this belief that the darker it is, the older it is, really when you see these two liquids together. Uh, you know, 
really kind of defeats that uh, that myth. Yeah, I mean, American oak will never create as dark of a whiskey as European oak. Twenty years, fifty years, a hundred years, it would never get that no, dark. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. You know, but if you were but to this is a this is a darker this is still a darker sampling than just American oak. Uh, yeah, you would use it for bourbon, like your final collection. This is still pretty dark. Like it seems darker to me than uh, versus, uh, you know, just regular from bourbon. from a bourbon. From well, a bourbon. If, if you can imagine that uh, you, your bourbon spirit mm -hmm. has been filled at seventy percent ABV, so you've got a higher strength of liquid yeah. going into that initial cask. So its extractives are going to be a lot greater yeah. than what it's going to be with our American oak which has been seasoned with uh, dry Oloroso, which is around the 18 to 20% mark. Um, how common is the practice of bringing, uh, in the Scotch industry in general, uh, bringing uh, lumber from the US and constructing it in Spain and aging it in sherry? It, it, I mean, it's quite rare, to yeah. be honest. I mean, I, I wouldn't like to say that we're the only company but we are probably one of the very few companies who do it. And I think once again, it, it depends on the characteristics that the company's trying to create in its products, as well as also the costs as well. Right. You're just shipping timber across the sea. Yeah. And, and just that time it takes too, right? I mean, if you're buying bourbon barrels, they're, they've already been seasoned for you. They've already gone through that whole process and you're buying them. Whereas here you're buying you're making them, you're seasoning them, you're putting the sherry in there, also sherry, and then, and then you're, you're putting whiskey in there afterwards. So that, that process is, is extensive. Of course, and that's, you know, that's where it comes back to, to basically the six years of that process for us, whereas it's quite easy for somebody to, to go out uh, and purchase used uh, American bourbon barrels and start to distill straight away. You know what, at a fraction of the cost, all, Excuse me, albeit that you know American bourbon barrels, because of the demand, have risen significantly in the last couple of years, but we're now seeing uh, a slight fallback on the prices, yeah. and I think that's where uh, we're now getting to a stage where the American bourbon market has has risen, but there's also sufficient enough casks to supply the Scotch whisky industry from what they're disgorging. Yeah, I am. Um, this is this is a great treat for me. When I was in Scotland the first time, wow. I bought um, a Macallan uh, castoring single barrel bottle from some place uh, in Edinburgh, and uh, that was one of my favorite whiskies. I remember bringing it home, and I didn't quite appreciate as much as I I should have really, because <laughs> I gave the other bottle to a friend, and I'm oh, like, and still to this day, I come over his house, I'm just like. Still haven't finished that bottle, and I'm just staring at it longly. Um, this is really, this is really beautiful. The the beautiful. The, the cinnamon notes on it. There's like that beautiful chocolatey loveliness to it. It's a you know, you've got the, you know that that fruitiness, the chocolates, the the dried raisins. It's, mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing that such a, a natural product can start to deliver such a huge difference. Yeah. You know, I, I you know this is. Uh, Probably in a lot of my traveling, it's, it's one of the most commonly asked questions about why a number's been removed from a bottle. And to be honest with you, I, I totally get it from a consumer's perspective. But when you start to explain 
uh, you know, just about what that would deliver, and uh, and even the brand itself. You know, the, the last thing that we would want to do at McAllen is is be complacent with our products. We we've obviously had to uh, be innovative in our thinking. Uh, you know, our, our our market have grown considerably with the new emerging uh, markets and people wanting to try our products. So you have to be innovative in your in your thinking and your creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it, it's 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 interesting. You know, when when you be able to start explaining things. I mean, I, I I say to people, you know, okay, what does a number signify? And and people have all these sorts of uh, your reasons. But you know, one simple thing I say uh, uh, is that if you had an apple and it was growing in a tree, and and you could only eat that apple when it was one year old but the apple was right after eight months would you leave the apple for another four months mm-hmm. or would you eat it when it's ripe and, and it's the same with the casks you know they're all de- they're all developing and maturing at different stages but like human beings so what this offers us it offers us is is the opportunity of a whiskey maker to use his skills and his creativity to produce a range. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, for companies like McAllen that do put so much uh, of, of the flavor t- taken from the barrels, um, it's hard to put an age statement on something where another scotch maker would be like, well, we bought barrels in the States, transferred them over, aged it for 12 years, here's a number. Uh, you're already with those barrels for much longer at that 12-year mark. It's already much more of an investment for you. Um, is it a fair statement to suggest that uh, there's more ver- variation in Scotch barrels because of that process of taking barrels, transporting them, reusing them previously? Because it seems like I just like in Kentucky, it seems like you know those barrels are made, they're filled, <laughs> and it's like a very consistent product. It's this part of the warehouse we've got it. Whereas in Scotland, it seems like there is a little bit more variation from barrel to barrel, a little bit more personality in those barrels. I think. You know, firstly, firstly, American, the American bourbon market have got the best out of that cask. You know, a, a cask is like a tea bag. Mm-hmm. The more you fill it, the less you take out of the wood. You know, so the more you use it, the less you're going to get. So you then maybe have to integrate other types of wood and different ages to start to create and build the product that you're looking for. But you know, one of the other factors is is warehousing. You know, whereabouts in the warehouse is it sitting? Uh, you know, logistically in you know in Scotland, whereabouts are your warehouses as well? Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of other factors that mm-hmm. that, that come into the mix, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we don't hear that much from. Uh, that's a very very common bourbon story is yeah. the warehousing location. We don't hear that much from, from Scotland as to where it's located and how that affects the flavor. So can you give us an example, some examples of warehousing and how that affects the flavor? Well, I mean, it, it's very much about you know, where, where the casks are stored in the warehouses. So, you know, if they're, if they're higher up, then you'll have more evaporation losses. Bearing in mind, we don't really get extreme temperatures in Scotland. You know, mm-hmm. a good summer's day for us could be about 20 degrees. <laughs> but you know, the, the difference between Maybe the, the, the north of Scotland uh, against against the south of Scotland, 
how how they're stored as well, whether they're in racked warehouses or or whether they're in palletized warehouses, that that has an impact as well. We spoke a little bit about innovation, um, and you don't have to give us secrets, but you absolutely can if you want. <laughs> I, I might I might pass these questions on, you know. So. <laughs> Um, is there anything coming up that you're exciting, uh, excited about um, in the next little while? Something maybe a little quiet that um, you know could go either way. Maybe uh, I'm assuming point. you mean from a marketing perspective. I mean, yeah, or or it just you know a, a, maybe a, a small section of you know the warehouses that there's some experimental stuff going on, or or thinking about different woods to use or or different seasonings. Uh, you know, I think without going into too much. A detail. Yeah, I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm probably in enough trouble as it is. But uh, you know, I think I think we're all looking at different kind of opportunities right. within the Scotch whisky industry. It's quite interesting because from a production perspective, we're all quite close together. Right. It's when it comes to the marketing, we're all mm. looking for something slightly different. Uh, and we are we are currently working on a number of projects mm -hmm. but you know unfortunately uh i can't really go into too much detail in, in what okay. we're doing but maybe if you invite me back in a couple <laughs> okay. of years time right. i can then we'll you know, put it right in the calendar know. today That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a mccallan uh rare uh cast for us I'm as well i'm gonna say i haven't had a drink in 26 days and if i was gonna break my fast with anything it was so Probably it was a dry January yes. you were on? Whoa. Yes, yeah. yes we're, we're, we're done with this conspiracy of dry January. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not too shabby, I'd say. No, you did good. Yeah, It just means you maybe have to level out the, the amount of alcohol you have each month. That's right. Rather than just, right. you know, really Go going for off. it in, that's you know, right. December. <laughs> well, oh, we... I went for it in December. Oh, boy, did uh, I ever. <laughs> February, there's not a day not planned, so without... I know. <laughs> Poor Mark, I texted him yesterday, and I was like, we're doing all this stuff in February. I've got us booked every day. <laughs> <laughs> Not my a husband, joke. My husband's going to be like, well, bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> I know, Nicole's so happy she sees me every day, and I now know. she's going to be like, Where, where'd you go? Where'd, where'd you go? What's going on again? Oh, this is the life before, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, so what we have here is uh, McAllen's latest addition to its range, uh, rear cask. It's, uh, it's been in the market you know, for a year or so, I think initially uh, I launched it uh, in, in New York in 2014, towards the end of 2014. And, and really, it's the most complex whiskey that McAllen has ever put together. You know, I think it uh, epitomizes the, the mastery which is inherent with the creation of McAllen. It's this commitment to knowledge, skills, passion, creativity. And it really, it really was created, I think, on, on, on the back of McAllen 18. You know the the demand for McAllen out uh, for McAllen eighteen has grown so much that really you know it's extremely difficult for us to try and be able to uh, produce it for in the volume that's required for certain markets. 
So the challenge was was to create this this whiskey, uh, and as I said before, it's it's probably the most challenging. It's it's made up of sixteen different cast types. Okay, uh, a combination of butts, punchings, barrels, eh, hugs heads, and predominantly Spanish and American first fill. Okay, uh, it's. The casks themselves, they've uh, they've been seasoned in, in various bodegas, some of which we no longer use as, as business. Uh, it's also the casks that have been produced have been made by uh, various cask suppliers that we have. So it's this whole combination of different cask sizes, different cooperages, different uh, bodegas, uh, and also and also uh, a different age profile as well for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, it was created as a gateway as well between the 1824 series, mm -hmm. which was gold, amber, sienna and ruby, to the 1824 master series, mm -hmm. which was before, before rare cast came in, was reflection number six in the M. So it gave the consumer that opportunity to trade up slightly to experience something different. Um, Cast-wise, how would this compare to Macallan Ruby, for example? How's that? What would be the difference? Uh, this Ruby is is one hundred percent European oak, mm -hmm. first fill. This is a combination between Spanish and American first fill, predominantly. But there also is some refill wood in there which takes away some of that, the harshness and softens it down as well. You know, the challenge for, for Bob Dogano, the whiskey maker and, and the team is, is to create con uh, continuity in the product. And I think that's the same with all of our products, especially when it doesn't have an age in a bottle or a number in the bottle. Yeah. What do you think, Jamie? <laughs> this is your third whiskey you've had today. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, I, I think it's a beautiful, I mean, uh, yeah, we've had I love this before. This expression. Yeah, I love we've this had expression. it before. Yeah, uh, really, and it's, it's delicious every really single time. I can always speak to your husband, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a, you know this, Valentine's this, this, this is a up. gift for you, but that's it's right. really for me. That's right. That's so. right. That's right. Yes, as so many whiskeys that have made their way into my collection are. <laughs> That's a, it's a beautiful whiskey. It's um, a beautiful I love this one. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very wonderfully done. Um, do you, um, do you have, because I know we're, we're kind of, we're definitely running a lot of time. Uh, do you have stories for us from <laughs> your early days at the distillery? Oh, there's, there's lots of pranks. I, I, I don't know if I can, you know, have to oh, you can't. Yeah. Just, just use different names. Um, be like, I know a friend named Stu. I, I don't know. And just go on from there. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't really... Edgington bought McAllen. In, in 1999, although uh, part of our operational business in the cask side of it, we dealt with, you know, the distilleries and, and, and other suppliers, uh, you know, more on the coopering side and, and some of the, the pranks and misdemeanors that went <laughs> on there. Yeah, I think, I think back in the day, it was acceptable to, to get away with such things. I think it's 
so much more now with health and safety and all sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of research. Exactly, you know, you, 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 when I think of some of the things we did, well, yeah. But, you know, people used to, uh, one of the things that was, was quite common then was, was actually to use uh, hot water and, and sweat, the, sweat the liquid out of the casks, <laughs> you know. So all of a sudden you've got this hot water and people would be thinking, what, what are you doing here? You know, all behind the back of, you know, obviously management at that time, but you would wet the casks, draw the liquid out of it, uh, strain it through an old cloth, you know, health and hygiene, it went out the window, you know, into a lemonade bottle. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, one, and one story I remember uh, was uh, a chap that used to work with us, he, he won a bottle uh, in a raffle. Uh, and he thought, that's quite strange. What, what's this? It's you know, it had a label on it and, and, and everything else, and, and looked genuine enough. But when he when he then had a couple of halves, he, he said, "Oh, this is this doesn't taste the same as the bottle I had the day before or, or, or the week before." And it ended up that under analysis, it's actually over a hundred percent proof. It was just pure alcohol, you know. And so, you know, lots and lots of lots and lots of stories and, and great fun times yeah. uh, but you know times move on obviously there's not the same amount of people involved in the industry now and a lot of these characters have, have kind of left oh. and it's sad yeah. you know, but I'm sure there's a lot a lot of stories that the distilleries could tell as as well uh, you know People taking drink out and kind of fuel barrels and yeah. hot water bottles and all, you know, the whole thing about customs and excise. But yeah, yeah. One one master blender told me that that it was became such a problem with people working that eventually they were just like, no, this is now people are hurting themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. How much were you rationed when you first started working? How much were you rationed whiskey? Well, I mean, at, at the at the cooperage, we didn't. Uh, it wasn't an allocation, but. You know, in the distilleries, you would probably have, you know, you'd have a whiskey when you arrived at your work, and then you would maybe have one at midday, and then one in your afternoon break, and then one when you went home at night. So, so civilised, isn't it? Very civilised. Uh, well, this is how we should live our lives. <laughs> Far more civilised. The unfortunate thing was people were using machinery at the time. Right. You know, so, uh, <laughs> but, you know, thing, thing, times, have, times have changed. So, um, very important question here. Um, whiskey before or after your coffee? For me personally, it would be after my coffee. So, coffee first, coffee then, first. then your morning whiskey. All right, so I'm doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we just mentioned there, you know, we've obviously had, you know, a couple of samples before, you know, 12 o'clock. But somewhere in the world, it's time for a half. That's so, right. you know, it, it doesn't make any difference. No. Nope. <laughs> and you, you, nope. you know, you enjoy it. And that's the main thing. That's the thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things as well is that you, and this, this goes about the different products, excuse me, is that, uh, you know, depending on your, your moods, your emotions, your feelings, location, depends on one, how you drink your whiskey, what type of whiskey you're having. Yeah. So. I always say to people, people say, you know, what's a good whiskey and a bad whiskey? I say, there's not a bad whiskey. Some are just better than others. Yeah. yeah. Good way yeah. of putting it. That's great. 
Well, I think that's a perfect note to end on. Thank I think you. So, thank you, Stuart. Thank it was such a pleasure Stuart. to yep. have you.